0: Hello everyone, my name is Stephanie Ghoston-Paul. I'm the host of the Take Nothing When I Die podcast. Take Nothing When I Die amplifies and celebrates the wisdom and genius of people who've managed multiple careers in one lifetime. All right, welcome party people to the Take Nothing When I Die show. I am your host, Stephanie Ghost and Paul. As you heard in the intro, you have made it to episode three of the second season of this podcast. So, welcome. If you are a longtime listener, welcome back. If you're a first time listener, enjoy, please. I'm really excited to be bringing you this solo episode today. And it's actually the first time I've debuted the new segment. If you haven't heard all of last season and even up to episode one and two of this season, go ahead and do that. What you'll notice is for season one, I had very particular solo segments, and these were just parts of the podcast where I answered questions and shared a little bit more about me and my lessons and what I'm learning. For season two, so much has changed. We've got new guests. We've got new questions for the guests. And that also means we have new segments for the solo episodes. So I will debut those today. And then we will get really deep into the topic for today, which is exploring your why. And it could have been called maybe centering your why, discovering your why, prioritizing your why. But we will be exploring your why, not only thinking about as you step into opportunities, or decide not to step into them, what are you considering? And when should you be considering your why? Is it the beginning, the middle, or the end? And just as a little bit of a sneak peek, anytime time works, y'all. <laughs> so I don't think I'm spoiling what's to come to preview that. But before we get there, and of course, when I share my lessons, y'all know, if you've listened to the podcast, that I also share some examples. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about the lessons in general and also applying them specifically to two situations I was in last year that you've probably heard a little bit about through various other storytelling channels or social media. So I'll be talking about how Exploring My Why impacted my TEDx experience, which if you haven't heard episode one yet, please go and do that, and also about how it impacted an experience I had on another podcast where I was interviewed. So I wasn't doing the interviewing, I was a guest and there was a whole year and a half saga that played out that I will be explaining to y'all later. So before we get into that, I wanna debut the solo segments. One is very familiar to y'all. It is a repeat from last year and it is the first question that I ask all of my guests. And that question is, how are you doing, the for real version? And y'all know I ask this because half the time we ask the question, We're not listening to the answer. We don't actually want to know. And the other half, we are asked the question and we kind of give our autopilot like, oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm fine. It's everything's fine, blah, blah, blah. And we go on about our day knowing that there's so much more going on with this than we let people know. And also that when we ask that question, we're not fully aware of what that person is going through. So I will answer that question. How am I doing for real? As y'all can probably hear, I'm a little bit stuffy. That's probably not new. I got allergies for days. And the cold air, the winter weather is not really helping. So I feel stuffy. But I think the biggest update, I just feel less motivated than I used to. I think that's for a lot of reasons. I'm moving much slower these days. I'm prioritizing my rest much more these days. And also just with everything that's going on, again, personally, domestically, internationally, there's so much going on. And we are in a multitude of pandemics one of them being COVID, one of them being political upheaval, one of them being mainstream momentum around Black Lives Matter. And I just get tired. I'm like tired of looking at the news, tired of seeing the news, tired of getting updates about the news. And it has been hard to concentrate. And also it's been hard to get myself going to get the things done that I really want to get done. So I'm just practicing a little bit of grace sleeping in a little bit longer if I need to, switching up calls or making the Zoom videos into phone calls. So there's a tip there. And just canceling stuff I don't need to be at. Do I really need to be at this meeting? Do we really need to meet right now? Being pretty selective with my energy and who I'm talking to and who I'm not just because I have to. So that's the real version. The second solo segment, which is actually the first brand new one, what you'll notice about these three solo segments is that they are much more geared toward what it means to be a living ancestor. That's the theme that I'm exploring more deeply this season. If you have no clue what being a living ancestor means or what I'm talking about, of course, go to episode one to hear more. And you'll hear a lot about it last season as well. But the first of the three new segments that has to do with being a living ancestor, the first one is called Healing My Timelines. Healing My Timelines. And this, I actually heard uh, Sonia Renee Taylor talk about this She talks about what is our ancestral work. And when we look back on the folks who came before us, sometimes we can paint this rosy picture that we are just avenging the suffering of our ancestors. Those ancestors who fought for what was right, who didn't rest so that we can rest and the ones who started work that we need to finish. And I think sometimes there's like a heroic portrayal of those who came before us, like they did all the right things. And for some of us, that's true. Some of us, that does describe our ancestors. And for a whole lot more of us, we have some mixed timelines, whether because of our racial and ethnic identity, our nationality, our religious identity, or just the human nature of people. We are multidimensional, messy human beings. And so all of our ancestors weren't the ones that were doing the right things, y'all. So knowing that there were some folks who made bad choices or who inflicted harm or violence upon other people or who exploited other folks or who just did things that we maybe aren't proud of or don't want to brag about, we know that we have to both honor and celebrate those folks and do what it takes to heal the harm that they have caused, as well as celebrate and uplift those who have heritages that we're really proud about. And so healing our timelines is really about honoring the mixed lineages (laughs) that we are part of for lots of reasons. And for me, what I'm doing to heal my timelines, I really am working hard on, again, I've mentioned this before, I'm working hard on letting people be who and where they are. There's something about, even the phrasing of that feels very wrong to me. I don't have to actually do anything. They're gonna be who they are. I cannot change them. They show up how they wanna show up. But I find myself frustrated or wanting to control or change or really shift the way that other people show up in relationship to me or even outside of me. And when I catch myself doing that, I'm practicing letting go. And I think, again, it's something that's passed on to me. It's something that I saw modeled. It's something that is pretty common in our society where we want people to do the things we want them to do in the way that we would do them and the timing that we would do them in. And part of healing my timelines and seeing how folks who've come before me or who are in my lineage have showed up for folks who didn't let people be who they were or where they were, I'm working really hard to catch myself when I find myself in that position. I've been talking a lot about acceptance and what that means and what it doesn't mean. And so I've been exploring that on social media quite a bit. If y'all want to find me on social media, of course, you can follow the Take Nothing When I Die accounts. That's T-N-W-I-D on Twitter, as well as Instagram. We're all spelled out, Take Nothing When I Die. And my business account slash personal, there's not really a distinction between the two these days, is at Cultivated Sense, cultivated and S-E-N-S-E. But something that just really struck me is, and and that I've been trying to keep central, is like, acceptance doesn't mean I am condoning. Acceptance doesn't mean I am validating. Acceptance doesn't mean I'm saying this is okay how it is. It just is naming. It is what it is. And then I can make a choice or do something different about that. So hope that's helpful for y'all. The second new solo segment. It's called, What Are You Spreading? (laughs) And actually, if you have listened to season one, you heard a similar question. What am I practicing? And knowing that Adrienne Marie Brown says, we're always practicing something. This one is slightly different. Actually, this one comes from Sonia Renee Taylor as well. She said, we're always spreading something. And of course, coronavirus has taken on a literal meaning for that. (laughs) But she says, be mindful of what you're spreading. We're always spreading something. And for this one it was really easy for me to answer. If y'all have been following along, I've been on a journey of setting, keeping, developing, maintaining, strengthening my boundaries. And I set out to really be clear about why they were super important to me. And so why setting boundaries, why I need them why they are important to me, why even in the face of people disrespecting them or questioning them, I needed to do the internal work to be clear on how important that they were to me. So a lot of that was some internal work and some foundation work. And I am just now seeing how some of that internal work is actually impacting people externally. And so there are people that I know very well, people that I don't know so well, people that I work with, friends and family who are like, just now starting to say, oh, hey, just so you know, I noticed that you said no here, or I noticed you don't work on Tuesday, or hey, I really appreciate that you took time off like and honored that it really set an example for me. So it's been cool to see how I think boundaries, whether people are conscious of the effect that I'm having on them or not, those messages are coming to me. And so in the last couple of weeks, more than just a few... (laughs) Folks have reached out and said, this really impacted me when you said no to this or when you stood up in this way or when you chose not to do this. And that I think that is what I'm spreading. All right. The last new solo segment, also focused on what it means to be a living ancestor, is about becoming what future generations need. If you notice, Healing My Timelines is kind of backwards looking. What are you spreading is present tense. And then becoming what future generations need is looking towards the future. And this actually comes from Prentice Hemphill. They have an amazing podcast called Finding Our Way. Please check it out. You need to listen to all of them, basically. Just listen to the whole thing. (laughs) Also follow them and listen to them. I think it was right before the election, if I can recall, I'll have to look back, but I think they were laying out a framework for how to react. Like People were like, apprentice, like, what do I do? I don't know what to do. Like, I'm nervous about the election. I'm scared about the election. And if there's a new year coming up, how do I evaluate? There are all these ways that we were transitioning, no matter who was going to be president. We had a new year coming upon us and we were approaching almost a year in COVID and people were doing some of those evaluations on who they are and what they want to be doing. And so they laid out a framework that they use at any time of year to kind of evaluate, am I still in alignment with what I set out, with who I said I was and who I want to become? And this was one of the questions, actually kind of paraphrased from one of their questions, as you think about not only how am I in alignment with myself in the given moment, but knowing that the future will drastically shift, knowing that there are people who are waiting on the work that I'm doing, knowing that future generations will inherit the foundation that we lay day to day now. Who do I need to become so that future generations have what they need? And so for me, for this question, lately, I really have been thinking about, it's actually kind of related to the Healing My Timelines piece, but looking at my need for control and certainty. When I think about the future, I think, about folks who will come after us, who will be super adaptive. They'll be super flexible. They will be flexible in terms of environment, in terms of their contributions, in terms of the way that they look at the world, the way they experience the world. And I've been thinking a lot about, okay, how do I shift to who I'm becoming so that I can lay a foundation for those folks so that it's easier for those folks. And maybe even that they would have an ancestor in their lineage and they could say, oh yeah, Stephanie, yeah, she was adaptable. She was flexible. And I've noticed that one thing getting in my way, one barrier, one huge barrier, maybe two barriers are my needs for control and certainty. We could go into the psychoanalyzation of all this. I am in therapy. Thank you. But really, I know it is definitely connected to trauma. It is definitely connected to anxiety. It's connected to my ancestors and where I come from. And again, this is a, for me an exercise of how do I catch myself? And it's not a judgment. It's not a blame. It's not a oh, here I go again. Oh, I can't believe myself. It really is like, how can I notice where instead of moving with the flow or letting something emerge? or understanding myself better, or being curious and just trusting where am I being rigid or being tight or requiring something that actually isn't conducive to the end result that I'm looking for. Probably should rephrase that. And instead of naming the barriers, what I am working on, let me reframe there, how I am working on what the future generations need is I am becoming someone who is more fluid, who is more trusting, who is more easeful, and who goes with the flow and noticing where that is not the case and where that's not centered and doing some adjustments so I can get back on track. Yes, that is my last solo segment. We are ready to get into the meat of today, which again is exploring your why. And again, I said, this could be like, Discovering your why, prioritizing your why, centering your why, it even could be like, what is my intention? That was my very first thought. What is my intention going into a decision or an opportunity or a relationship? And what I notice is I think we sometimes conflate this intention discussion with the intent versus impact discussion. So when harm happens, when conflict happens, People say, it wasn't my intention. And yet, we're looking at what has impacted that thing that you did or said or didn't do or say. So, this is not that. I'm not talking about intentions and impact. What I'm talking about is looking at why you do the things you do, why you choose the things you do, why you step into or out of or avoid what you do. And this is really about alignment with who you say you are what you believe or you value, your purpose, and what's important to you, right? So let's say for whatever reason, I mean, it's COVID, there are lots of ways that people are adapting to these environments and trying to develop or provide opportunities that may be coming across your inbox. They may be coming across social media. You might be thinking about your career or your side hustle or your entrepreneurial endeavor where you're like, Okay, I can move in this direction or this one. I could choose this partnership or this relationship. I could look at this long-term thing or be really focused on the short-term thing. So I just want to get us in the spirit of what is the why that we're talking about? And it's our intention for opportunities that come our way. Now, I'll talk a little bit about the lessons and then talk a little bit about how I applied these last year and some other lessons that I learned in trying to apply the lessons that I'm about to tell y'all. Because again, when I said in the beginning, I think there's this idea that the best time to evaluate your why is before you say yes. And that, that may be true, right? Someone sends the email, someone calls, someone refers you, you're looking at this thing, you're gonna apply for this thing, you're gonna say yes to this thing. Before you say yes, it's always great to vet the thing, vet the person, vet the opportunity, ask questions, do your research. It's not always that there's a clear-cut answer, but it can be helpful. You can look at, hey, what do I care about? What matters to me? What is my why? And what are my other whys? Like, why else? I might have a main why and then a secondary why, and then this other why that's kind of in the back of my head, but that's unconscious, that we have to weigh. We might also, as we're thinking through this beforehand, be evaluating what are the downsides? How could this backfire? How could this be harmful? How might we restructure this? Do I have to take it as its package now or do I have some options? Can I exercise some creative control or freedom? Do I have to do it this way and with these people right now? So again, I think as much as possible, it would be great for us to do that evaluation before we say yes. And the reality is it doesn't always happen that way for whatever reason. We're moving really quickly. The opportunity is moving really quickly. We don't think about it. Maybe we get clear about the conscious elements, but not about what's underlying those or what's unconscious. So I just want y'all to know, if you don't get a chance to evaluate your why before you step in and before you say yes, All hope is not lost. Why is that? Because you can actually evaluate at any time. Even if you get a chance to do some of this work beforehand and you say yes, you still have the right to say no at any other time after that. Now I know, okay, we got contracts, obligations, requirements. There are consequences to saying no. And maybe further down the line, they're harder or more financially difficult, but we do have options. This is why we have contracts that people break. And this is why we have termination clauses. (laughs) And this is why we have partner dissolutions. So if you don't get to evaluate beforehand, it is okay. You can always do it in the middle. In some contracts, I work with institutions, we actually schedule a midpoint evaluation because it could start off all good. And then you might get in there and you'll be like, oh, I didn't know this and this. And it's going to change. It's either going to mean I can't be in this relationship in this way. It's going to take way more time, energy, resource to be in this way. Or actually, like when I look at and I evaluate my why, I don't actually want to be in this. So maybe even there were some clues in the beginning and you had an inkling and you didn't listen to it but it's taken up until this midpoint for you to get the courage or work up the strength to say, hey, you know what, this isn't really working. And even before I get to the two big examples, I'm talking about the TEDx and this interview opportunity. I've done this a lot. Like I've been in partnerships and I've been so scared to say, hey, this isn't working. And I've worked up the courage. (laughs) It's been weeks, it's been months, maybe even a year. And I say, you know what? This is not really working for me. And I will tell you 9.725, this is a number I just made up, uh, 9.725 times out of 10, they've agreed. They're like, yes, this is difficult in a way that doesn't work for us. Or, oh my gosh, I've been feeling the same way. Or yeah, actually we need to go in a different direction and this is perfect. So I just want to remind y'all like the scary scenarios that we have dreamt up in our heads aren't necessarily what's going to happen. And yet that pain, that tingle in the back of your brain or throat or head, like the little nagging that you have because you're out of alignment, it's actually not worth it. You'll get to a point where that uncomfortability is gonna far outweigh anything that could happen by telling the truth about where you're at. So you got your beginning evaluation before you say yes. You could have some kind of midpoint evaluation. And you know what? To be really honest, it also could happen at the end. Sometimes because of timing, because of the process, because of the journey that we're on, we don't actually know until the end about the lessons that we've learned about a particular situation. I just want to say this because this happened to me. Sometimes these things either happen so fast, you are not processing them. Or you don't actually have the vocabulary or the deafness to put it all together. And then you see certain patterns or then you like apply your frameworks and you're like, oh, wait, this was this and then this was this. But when you're in the thick of it, you couldn't actually see it. Again, I don't want y'all to get down on yourselves. I think one very common thing that shifts us away from actually doing this evaluation at the end is that we start to blame or judge ourselves like, oh, here I go again. I did it again. I'm in the same place. I thought I learned this lesson. The universe already told me this. And I want to encourage you again something that my therapist says. She's, you're not in the same place. It may seem similar. There's probably a different landscape and totally different scenery. So if you can see it for what it is, which is for whatever reason, you were not able to put it all together to the very end, there's still a lesson to be learned by exploring your why for that situation. All right, let's get to the part I know y'all been waiting for because you're like, okay, Stephanie, you are talking around, on top of, on the side, beneath and being real vague. And I just want to talk about two situations I was in over the last year where I learned these lessons somewhat the hard way and talk about how I applied that learning, right? That evaluation at the beginning, midpoint, and end. And then so a couple other things I learned along the way that I hope will be really helpful for you. So the first thing I want to talk about chronologically, this podcast interview was, it actually came first because it actually began in 2019. So in 2019, at the, I think it was the end of 2019, these two white women reached out to me. They were part of the HR Wonder Women podcast. And they were like, hey, we got your information from a peer. We're excited to interview you. Come on our show and share with us X, Y, Z. So I will be really honest. When they emailed me saying that they had come as a referral from a peer who I knew, who I had spoken to, who I respect in this industry, that kind of made me bypass the vetting process. So normally if something comes across my desk, I'll say, what is it? Let me listen to a couple of episodes. What do they stand for? What are they doing? I did not do that. So I missed, I skipped, I avoided that beginning research and vetting process. I definitely could have, and that may have saved me some some grief. So this will be a very long story, very shortly. I recorded with them. We actually ended up recording twice because the original episode did not upload, and I was really uncomfortable with some of the ways that they were phrasing things on the show, some of what they were saying, and even just their positioning, how they're positioning themselves on air. Really, the show is about centering and uplifting voices who are traditionally marginalized or excluded. And I felt they were learning at the expense of me live. And there were a couple of things that really stood out to me. One was the way that they dealt with colorism. And so there was a very specific comment about Beyonce versus Serena that I pointed out. But there were a couple other things that really stood out to me live and then I processed afterwards. So remember, there's no statute of limitations. When I was live answering questions on air, it was really hard to work through all the things that were happening at once. But once I did, I actually sent them an email with that feedback saying, Hey, this didn't sit right with me. I actually think you need to kind of rethink your positioning in terms of how you're learning on this podcast at the expense of, for me in particular, a Black woman and looking at the colorism issue. And I also named a couple other things that didn't sit right with me. They wrote back right away and said they were looking into it. They ended up hiring somebody to that they knew to help decipher my feedback and then to actually do an audit of their podcast. So this person help them do some further learning around the things that I was talking about, which makes sense to me, and also look at other episodes like, hey, how has this played out or if it it has played out? One major thing that really didn't sit right with me there was that the person that they hired, whether they're conscious of it or not, was a light-skinned Black woman to essentially fact-check me. And given that I had named colorism as an issue that I think they needed to pay attention to, I thought it was particularly problematic that they did that. I know this woman that they hired, very familiar with her. We got a chance to talk several times. She interviewed me as part of her audit process. And mostly it was her who kept me updated on their progress. I didn't hear a lot from them in, at the end of 2019 and most of 2020 until they let me know almost a year, it was a year plus later that they had this learning episode which was supposed to be a follow-up to the feedback and the audit that had been done the previous year. So I listened to the learning episode and I still felt it was problematic in a lot of ways. And I geared up to give another feedback email. And this time, what I decided to do was have some very specific requests, which I did not have in the first one, about what I felt like they needed to do as well as what I was seeking one of the things that I was seeking was payment for my labor that I had expended throughout the process, both my actual, like the hours that I put in and also emotional labor. And what it boiled down to is that what I asked for was outside of their price range, which they let me know. They tried to offer me 10% of what I asked for. And I said, no, I'd let them know this is not a negotiation. This is not pay black women asterisks where you're like, pay black women, only what you can afford. And I was really disappointed with the outcome of me spending time both on air, talking with the person who audited their podcast, listening to their learning episode, writing these feedback emails, going back and forth with them, and then nothing. I was pretty disappointed and I was hurt. But the lessons that I learned, there were so many, one, I already told you about the the evaluation (laughs) points and periods. There were so many times where I could have examined, explored centered, prioritize my why, and I did it. And that is something that I, as I look back, I really regret. Initially, when they emailed me, I had time and space to do that. When I wrote that initial feedback email, I had time and space to do that. When they hired somebody and I was interviewing with her, I had time and space to do that. When I sent that feedback email with the requests for the money to cover my labor, there were so many times where I could have slowed down and been really critical about why am I doing this? How is this in alignment? Do I need to do it this way and with them in this timing, right? Some of those questions that I asked earlier and I didn't do that. Another lesson here was like, how can you use the frameworks that you are familiar with that feel near and dear to you and apply them to where you're at? And again, This could happen beforehand. This could happen in the middle. Sometimes because of the long process, it just takes time to kind of digest. What I noticed was in the moment, I wasn't able to see or name how my values around transformative justice were caught up in this process. But one of the foundational principles of transformative justice is relationship. And I realized we didn't have enough of a relationship in the first place for me to even hold them accountable to something. I don't think we're speaking the same language. I don't think we had the same idea going into it, which also meant maybe we weren't in enough of a relationship for me to say yes in the first place, especially when we think about the exchange that happens on a podcast. Even the setup is part of the setup of a podcast where a guest who's typically an expert in their field Someone who has a lot of knowledge, someone who has a lot of wisdom to share comes on and provides that for free with some benefits, with some costs, with some exposure. Like there's all these factors, but I hadn't really thought about that exchange and I had not been intentional about what I needed out of that. Instead, I was centering their need to learn, to expose, to center, to amplify voices without thinking what I really needed. Another lesson here was, again, as I look at the frameworks that are important to me, it always makes sense to me to zoom out. So I think sometimes, especially when we're in conflict or we've experienced harm, we can look at the ways that we've been hurt individually. Like this was this person versus me or these two people versus me in this case. But it was helpful for me to kind of zoom out. How can I look at how this is a symptom of a larger issue whether that be systemic or institutional and so I could go on all day about how aspects of white supremacy showed up in this as it was two white women on a learning journey with a black woman I could talk about capitalism right like I just talked about how the exchange of ideas and wisdom and expertise and all that stuff I'm not even going to get into that fully But what I started to really think about was how does this apply to me and how expensive are the lessons being learned? How do I treat my guests with dignity and respect? What do I need to do differently to honor the wisdom and the stories of the people who come on the show? So if this has happened to me, it's happened to lots of other people. And chances are I'm also perpetuating this in some area of my life. So how am I positioning myself differently on my show? How do I hold the stories and the wisdom and those gems, those things that people don't want to take with them to the grave? How am I holding those sacred? And how do I make sure I'm making the most of my guest time? How am I thanking them? How am I being grateful? It really set me off on exploration to turn a lens on and a mirror onto my own practices around the exchange that happens on podcasts. Lastly, it really was a signal for me around entering in slowly and intentionally. How do I keep sight of my intention as I move throughout this process? And can I name when I start veering off because of what I perceive to be helpful or prestigious or impactful for somebody else or their community? This evaluation could come at the beginning, at the midpoint, at the end. I get disengaged. Anytime my intention is not being honored, whether it's by myself or other people. And that was really important for me to hear myself. Like, Not only did I not enter into this intentionally, but when my intention was dishonored or dismissed or not held as sacred, I didn't make a choice to do something different. And that happened both on their end and it happened on my end as well. So that was the HR Wonder Woman podcast, y'all. That was example number one. Learned a lot, still learning a lot (laughs) and figuring out how do I take care of myself even throughout the storytelling process? Like when I talked about being unmotivated, I mean, there's like lots of reasons why I am unmotivated. But when I think about even talking about this on this episode, it was hard. Like I definitely procrastinated and I I was wary of telling the story again. So same with the TEDx, which is the second example. A lot of y'all know in January of last year, so almost a year ago, I found out that I was selected to give a TEDx speech at TEDx Marietta Square. And I had obviously applied for it the year before, so late 2019. And then the acceptance came, I think, mid, earlier, mid-January, something like that. Now this one, I will, again, it's like, I I told y'all it could seem like the same, but there's different landscape and scenery. I did enter into this way more intentionally. It was clear, like, what is my message going to be? Am I even going to be able to say what I want to say? Because there were some early signs that I might not be able to. And so I was very wary. I was very cautious. And I also was holding in my hand, like, I might not actually go through with this. If I couldn't say what I really wanted to say, was this opportunity worth it for me? And that was a question that I started with. So I was looking for signs. Can I do what I want to do? Am I going to be able to say what I want to say? And if I can't, how do I disengage? Like I talked about before. The thing that I didn't do as well was to think about the competing whys. My primary why was like, I have a message. There's ancestral work that I've been engaged in, and I want to share that with people. It's really important. That was conscious for me. What was unconscious was there's also like excitement and prestige and perceived like status that comes with doing a TEDx talk. Like literally, when I put on my LinkedIn profile, TEDx Speaker 2020, people were reaching out to me like, oh my God, how do you get a TEDx? Teach me how. All of a sudden I was getting all these pop-ups on Facebook that were like, coaches for TEDx, I'm a coach and I'll help you get a TEDx. I mean, it's seen as a very prestigious and status bringing thing. And I know that played a part. Like, I know that that was part of what was making my decision hard. The fact that, I struggled with, if I can't say what I want to say, that I'm out, told me that there were some unconscious factors at play that I needed to tend to that I didn't. So the process, as things were unfolding, especially with COVID, the organizers had to really shift a lot of things. The TEDx was originally scheduled as an in-person, I think it was an all-day event in September of 2020. And the roster changed so very many times, the venue changed so very many times, We ended up doing the event virtually. So I can understand them trying to figure out, are we actually going to have this at all? And also, how do we shift it? So that's still really impactful. And I know there were also personal things happening with folks, as well as things that were out of their control that I completely understand. Where I really had a tough time with the process was on two fronts that I felt were within their control and also felt really important to me. These are part of my whys. These are part of my intention of going in. And the first one was the organizers did not deliver what they said they would. And again, it's like, for me, I'm the person, sometimes I cancel things like the day of, an hour before. And I say, hey, I'm sorry, my bad. Couldn't make it, had to change it. Family emergency. Sometimes I'm like, I just need to sleep. I don't feel well. I tell people the truth. What I noticed was that they would play this game around hurry up and wait. And those deadlines applied to us. So you got to get an outline in by Friday. And it was Wednesday or Thursday. So we would hurry up, turn it in, and then we would wait for long periods of time and didn't hear from them. So hurry up and wait was the standard for us with those strict deadlines, but then they wouldn't follow through on their own. And for some examples where they would say, okay, hey, we're going to have a group session on Friday. It was super last minute and not everybody could make it, but I would attempt to make as much as I could. And then they would cancel the session and not say anything. Or they say, okay, we're going to get feedback to you by this date. So we're waiting on that date. Nothing happened. And again, I know stuff happens. I know that these folks had full-time jobs and other things to do. But what I felt and why it was clear to me that unconscious, some of those unconscious whys were impacting me, was that I felt like because of the prestige of the opportunity, that was almost used to threaten us, which I'll come back to later. It certainly made me feel like I couldn't ask or say anything about it. Hey, what was up with that? Y'all said you were going to do it Saturday, but then it didn't happen until three weeks later. And yet, if we didn't turn this thing in by last Friday, you said you would kick us out. I just felt like if anyone said anything, they were really irritated or it would get snatched away from us, this opportunity. And it was actually explicitly said sometimes, if you don't turn this in, then you will not be on the stage in September. I'm like, dang, okay. And y'all know I'll be asking questions anyway. Uh, So I'm always in trouble. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. What about this? What about this? And they were just so irritated. So the lack of transparency and lack of communication was something I don't think any opportunity is worth. It's not about being messy or, un- or unorganized or a certain way of being or doing. It really is the, at the bare minimum, I need people to do what they say they're going to do. And if they can't, let me know why. And that was a huge thing that was lacking for me in integrity with this TEDx opportunity. Second, and maybe more important, was the importance of the stories. And I said this with the previous example. Like, I felt like they did not treat the stories of the folks who were speaking with the reverence that they deserve. For such a prestigious opportunity for people who are seasoned, for people who are brand new, the stories that folks were sharing were near and dear to their hearts. They were coming out in all kinds of ways sharing ancestral wisdom, like their life's work. And they were kind of flippant about that. We didn't have any coaches. We didn't have coaches assigned to us. In the end, we were supposed to do group coaching, but it wasn't really group coaching. Very little feedback about our stories out. There were specific things that I asked for that I did not receive. And it was almost like the stories were like the sideshow. This is a prestigious opportunity. Don't really worry about it. Just show up. And this is really about us. This is about me organizing this. Or this is about me putting this on my resume. This is an event. And then the stories are going to happen to show up. Which again, I feel like if someone's going to share their most precious thing with me, I need to treat it as such. I need to be like, oh my gosh, thank you for sharing this. I want to make sure that the words that you're choosing and the clarity with which you have this vision comes through for other people, and I'm willing to invest whatever it takes, a coach or giving that feedback you asked for, or just sitting with you on how to deliver. There was really no guidance in that way. And for opportunity that is supposed to be both for, like I said, seasoned speakers and and new speakers alike, that was really disappointing for me because even for myself, as someone who speaks a lot, I felt like there were things that I wanted or I asked for or that I missed throughout this opportunity to share my story in a clearer, more impactful way that was in alignment with my original intention. So the lessons, again, I, (laughs) y'all know, like I was constantly evaluating, but what I didn't realize until the very end was sometimes you think you can make something what you want it to be. Sometimes that actually works. And then sometimes because of the nature of the thing or how it's structured, you just cannot. So one example comes to mind. I was invited to present at a conference in Portland, and originally they wanted me to facilitate a 45-minute discussion. That didn't work for me. I turned that into a keynote in which I got a video, I got paid, and I was able to make it what I was. I left after lunch. So I was presented with something. It didn't fit with my values or my why. I was able to restructure it in a way that worked for me and it turned out well. TEDx, not so much. By design, a lot of its elements are inequitable. First and foremost, the resource inequality is huge. Everyone who's part of the TEDx is doing it for free. The speakers do not get paid. The organizers do not get paid. The event planners do not get paid. There is no money exchange. Either folks do it for free, they get things gifted, or they do it pro bono, or they come out of their pocket. So you can see that resources are distributed and received unequally across regions. TEDx Marietta Square was a first year event. It was very different than an established one like TEDx Atlanta. So it really depends on the resources of the organizers, how long they've been doing it, who or what they have access to. I've also seen the fact that the political distinctions and bodies that are able to apply for TEDx talks are also rife with inequality. One thing I noticed when we were doing our TEDx preview and some of our marketing was that TEDx holds talks in prisons. And so as an institution, the institution is benefiting while its prisoners are further exploited, which is something that doesn't sit right with me. There are also other institutions that have access to resources that are able to do things with speakers that new or different political bodies are not able to do. I have a friend who did a TEDx talk that was affiliated with her former education institution, And she was flown out. They had a dinner. They had a pre-thing. They had a post-thing. She had a coach. I mean, all of these pieces because they were affiliated with an institution that had resources. And so by design, there are inequities in how people access resources and then how the TEDx talks turn out. We were actually even told that the TEDx is not about us. It's about promoting And boosting Ted as a brand. So that was also off-putting. I'm like, so it's not about us, but would Ted have a brand without the speakers and the stories? Like, no, obviously the stories are the centerpiece and Ted is benefiting off of it. So again, I'm evaluating what's the exchange here. I'm supposed to be promoting Ted. And yet I have this really important story that I want to share. Another lesson that I learned, and I'm telling y'all, I'm just telling the truth. I didn't learn it Until the very end, I realized it because I was salty. Being salty was the final straw that made me realize that I had consciously and unconsciously prioritized the prestige of the thing. So on the day of the event, which happened to be virtual, when it was my turn to give my talk, my internet went out at the very end. I think it's like near the middle to the end. And I was hot, y'all. I was mad. I was pissed. I was disappointed in myself. I was smug because I was like, I can't believe this. I felt like mine was really good. It might've been one of the best. And of course the internet went out. I'm above all this nonsense that happened. So I didn't realize it to the end that I couldn't actually make it be what I wanted it to be. And it wasn't what I wanted it to be. And somewhere along the way, the unconscious ways that I was prioritizing and really centering the prestigious and the honor and the credibility and the status piece of this had really gotten to me. And it made my interactions with them at the end really tense because when they submitted my final video, which was the video from the day of, Ted rejected that. And so instead they sent in my rehearsal video, which was recorded a week prior to the live event. And again, as I said in the first episode, I stand by what I said. I love what I said in the rehearsal video, it just changed a lot that last week. I changed quite a bit. I felt like I was way more clear. I felt like I was way more to the point on the day of, and that didn't air. No one saw that. The video got messed up, and so they had to pull it. And so there was a lot of other stuff that came up for me around that, around perfection and looking at the outcome, not the process. A lot of judgment was coming up from me to me and from me to them about the process and all those pieces too. So I think, again, I had to slow down and get conscious of what else is driving me here. Why am I so upset? Why is this so difficult for me? Why am I holding on to this thing? Oh, it's because I wanted to make this into a video and I only have audio. (laughs) Or like, I think I wanted this to be viral and people to get it and people to to love it. And I don't think they'll get it because the rehearsal, I don't know. There was all these competing thoughts, I mean, competing whys, and I just didn't surface those to the very end. Lastly, the lesson here for me was really about what it means to tell the truth and tell my truth and have it be okay that it's different from other people's realities. There certainly is an outside view, like y'all listen to my podcast, not the podcast of the organizers of TEDx, Marietta square. So they may have a different story. People who were my fellow speakers may have had a different experience. People who've done TEDx's over time, last year, three years ago, in 10 years, they may have a different experience. But I was really scared and worried about telling the truth about this because of the outside view of people. So knowing that TEDx is seen as very prestigious and, oh my God, you got a TEDx talk. Like You are important, Stephanie. Like Good job. It was really hard to say, you know what? Honestly, this nine-month experience wasn't that great. And I was really scared to say that. There's a huge and there. Like I want to be very clear, like all things, (laughs) there's an and. I am blessed and privileged to have been in this experience. I learned something. I met some great people. I understand the process more. It validated my why. It led me to talk about it here. There are a lot of ways that this experience wasn't all terrible. And I noticed that I was hesitant to tell the truth about it because of how other people might view it. It's okay that everyone has not had the same experience. They won't have the same experience, but it doesn't invalidate the one that I have and that you've had and know that it's okay to tell the truth about that. Again, I think how we position ourselves as, oh my gosh, I'm the only one, which I know is not true. It can feel like it sometimes, especially with these things that seem so huge. Like how many people have done a TEDx? Probably a lot, but a small percentage of the population around the world. Or how many people want to do a TEDx? Like I said, there are coaches that you can hire to try to get you a TEDx. Or there are folks who they apply for TEDx talks for years. It's like a professional goal of theirs. I know that. And I totally understand that. And... I'm just standing in the truth of what happened to me and how I see it and how I view it. And I know that also could change over time. I'm sure there's lessons that I might realize this year that are connected, but that are part of a pattern that were sparked or continued or replicated by my TEDx experience. So I just said a whole lot of stuff and I hope it was helpful. Again, it was really hard to share I told you I was unmotivated and I really procrastinated. It was hard to talk about the ins and outs of these experiences. I'm just going to be honest. I was going to try to talk about them without sharing specifics (laughs) or examples, but it felt really important to name what happened and call myself in, as well as the people who were involved in both of those. So I hope that this helps normalize in some way talking about where we mess up. We talk about the messy middle, like not just... Hey, the beginning, January, I found out. And then September, this is what happened. But what really happened in between? How do we learn and how do we learn out loud and have some wisdom going forward? How are you applying the lessons that you learned last time so that it's not the same thing this next time? For me, the questions that came up were like, how do I make this a part of my intake when I'm meeting with clients? How do I make this part of my decision-making process? How do I set aside the time and the space to uncover the conscious and unconscious pieces of why I'm doing this? What am I excited about? How do I make this what I want it to be? And can I even do that within the structure that it exists in? What am I sacrificing or compromising on? Will there be any harm, struggle, or negative impact to me choosing into this? How do I mitigate that or examine what that would mean for me, other people in my community? I really hope these lessons, these examples, these questions will help you as you're evaluating. Again, I don't always think it's a clear cut yes or no. This is like a 4D decision-making matrix that exists over space and time. It's not a one-time evaluation, but I do hope that as you are making these decisions at any point, as you're evaluating, that you give yourself some grace. I think that's the last piece. This is not about blame. This is not about I should have, could have, would have. It's not about I'm a terrible person. I messed up. Here I go again. It really is recognizing how do I start to see myself? Can I name what happened? Can I catch it in the first place? Because some people are just out here operating unconsciously. So can I see it? Can I catch it? Can I name it? And can I do it faster than I did it last time? (laughs) Can I just say no? Can I use the wisdom, the hurt, the pain that I felt last time and be like, I don't want to do this again. So I'm just going to say no. Can I fight the FOMO? That's me. But if I say no, then I'm going to miss out on this. Skip it. And how do I try again? We are messy. We are multidimensional. We're always learning. How do I apply this to the next time? Because there will be a next time. That's the other piece. There's no end. This is a journey. It's not, okay, cool. Wrapped it up, done with that lesson. Give me the next one, universe. There'll be another time. So please also take that as a positive that you get to practice again. Isn't that great? You get to practice again. All right, it is time for me to sign off. It's that time. I gotta go. So if you like the show, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss anything. When you subscribe on your platform of choice, as soon as an episode uploads, it will be downloaded to your device. So make sure you like, favorite, subscribe. And if you have a few minutes, please leave a review. Apple Podcasts makes it really easy to do so. You can also find us on social media. We are on Twitter at TNWID and also on Instagram at Take Nothing When I Die, all spelled out. If you want to build community with us in a different way, check out patreon.com slash TNWID. Over on Patreon, we've got videos of the podcast if you like visuals, more tidbits and takeaways from me, And even better, a community of living ancestors. These folks are loyal fans and supporters of the podcast. They are able to ask questions of me. And there's some exclusive content that you will literally not see anywhere else on the internet from me. So head on over to Patreon to join that community. If you are feeling generous and if you got it like that and you want to give some coin, you can always do so through a one-time donation, which supports the production of this podcast as well as my coaching and consulting work. You can find me on PayPal at paypal.com slash Stephanie ghostin, just my name. On Venmo, it's stephanie ghostin, and you'll see a picture of me. And on Cash App, it's the dollar sign. Ghosto. Also, don't forget to check out the show notes page. stephanieghostincom slash T-N-W-I-D is where I house all of the episodes as well as the show notes. It's there. You'll find all the links that I've mentioned, both to social media, to the Patreon page, to the donation links, as well as more information about our guests and all the resources mentioned during the show. So if you missed something or you're like, what was the spelling of that one thing that so-and-so named, or you just wanna see some great artwork, memes, and doodles, go on over to my site, stephaniegoston.com slash T-N-W-I-D. This is my time, y'all. I have to sign off. Again, this, this is your host, Stephanie Ghoston-Paul. I'm bringing you the Take Nothing When I Die podcast, and I'm leaving you with your reminder that you are a living ancestor take care and hope to talk soon